0: achieve our full potential. Your journey to transformation begins right now. Let's do this. Oh, my goodness. Once again, I really do feel like the luckiest woman in the world. I really do. To be able to do work that I love to do, that I know is impactful, work that energizes me, and then I get to surround myself with amazing people who are on a similar journey, Woo! I am so excited. So this is Tracy Harrell. This is part two of the Bigger Than Me Success Series. Um, Today we're talking about achieving racial equity and inclusion in business, education, wealth, and health. We're on a systems journey. And what I love about the ladies who are here with me is that we're all talking about how do we help to basically elevate the conversation. If we're going to change things, we really have to start thinking about things differently, asking deeper questions, really having real courageous conversations. You know, we had a session a few weeks ago and we had Pam McElveen from Diversity NBA Magazine, Diversity NBA Media. She came on and she mentioned a metric and she said 80% of non-Black professionals um, feel trust and comfort in talking about and sharing their true thoughts and opinions and perspective about their experience at work. 80%, 80%, over 80%. It was 8 to 10% of Black professionals who have that same level of comfort. So when you think you're having real, courageous conversations, the fact is most Black people aren't comfortable in corporate space actually telling you what they really think about the experience they're having. Now, the numbers tell you what you need to know. Like all the numbers around retention and inclusion, all the, 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 um, major magazines, academic institutions, they all talk about this idea of the business case for diversity, right? We know that companies that are more diverse are more profitable, they're more successful. But we also know that many businesses in, in, in the US, we haven't gotten there because we're not focused on inclusion, true real inclusion and true belonging. And that's really what this conversation is about. How do we really get there in a different way? How do we really change the status quo? And so today's conversation is giving everyone a little glimpse of some real conversations around how do we bring clarity to experiences that you may not have personally or things that may help to clarify for you as a leader or you as an individual what you can do to be a part of the solution how do we change things for the next generation how do we change things immediately for each of us so i'm gonna have each of you do another introduction i'm gonna start with miss pamela i'm gonna have you introduce yourself tell us who you are and then and then we, we were just having a conversation around in, in the last hour we were having a conversation and it ended we were talking about relationships who we are we were talking about this idea of um you said one of your friends we, we've all had the conversation where people tell us we don't see color <laughs> i don't see color uh so why don't why don't you help to to, to to clarify what you would say to someone who um actually tells you that they don't see color and they say that they they're, they're actually trying their best to tell you that meaning I, I don't see, they, they're trying to tell you that they don't see you in a negative way, but what do you hear when someone says that to you? And you're on mute, so we're gonna have you reintroduce yourself.
1: Okay, my name is Pam Sachs Lawler, and I have about 30 years uh, of experience in uh, managing uh, programs at the state level for behavioral health. And uh, I'm also a doctoral student. I'm gonna say that my dissertation is differentiating the impacts of adverse childhood experiences and behavioral health in African-Americans and Caucasian juveniles. Um, so I, I wanna say that, and I, as I said at the last show, when someone says to me that they don't see color or see color in me, or they have colorblindness, they're saying that they don't see me. Um, but I, I think it's uh, incumbent upon us to, when, when people say that, that we delve a little bit deeper into what they're saying, because oftentimes they may be saying that I don't see you as a black person because they really do see me as a black person, but they don't um, differentiate me from someone else. They, they, it, I, I hope that's making sense. They're not saying it in the negative manner. They're saying they're trying to treat everybody differently now. They're they're, um,
0: they're saying they're trying to, in their mind, they're saying they're trying to treat everyone the same. They want you to feel right that everyone's being treated the same. And I I had this conversation with someone recently as well, which is why I find it so fascinating that that oftentimes people are not aware of the impact. So I'm going to have each person answer the same question around the the uniqueness. Did you want to say something But it does
1: impact, I'm going to say at the very end, so we're going to go on to other people, but it does impact us when people say that they don't see us because um, like I said at the last show, I love my blackness, and so therefore I want you to see the blackness. I want you to see the culture in me, um, and I want to see yours in you. And then oftentimes when people do that, they don't even hold it's to their so own energy. culture.
0: Well, I, I think I think what's really in, what's so interesting is I'm gonna I'm gonna ask each person to answer this question, then I'll come back around. But I actually had a conversation with one of the panelists from our last session. Um, his name is Dean. Uh, amazing individual, and we were having a conversation. That he he was talking to a black person who said something to him. He said the comment about you know I don't see color, and the guy like went off. And he was like, I don't understand what just happened. And I was like, Oh, would you like me to tell you what happened? that's easy would you like me to help you understand what he what he heard when you said that so for Mm -hmm. white people if you get nothing out of today do not tell a black person that you don't see color because that basically said I don't understand that you have a different unique experience that's what I told Mm -hmm. him like you're basically saying I don't understand that when you saw George Floyd being extinguished on national television I immediately went to that looks like my brother that mm-hmm. like my daddy. That could have been my. That could have been my people, right? So there's a different lived experience that we have when when black mothers send their kids off to 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 the, to the store. There there there's a pit in their stomach wondering if they're gonna come home. So there's a different lived experience. So when you just say I don't see color, it's like oh, so you don't okay. Thank you. Yeah. That's not good. So just so that you know, if you get nothing out of this one conversation, we got about a hundred of these real courageous real conversations we want you to understand because in order for this, 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 this to move forward, we really got to understand each other even better. So Dr. Tart, yes, I'm going to have you answer the same question. What do you hear when someone says, um, I don't see color or what would you, what advice would you share with someone that's lovingly, right? We're gifting uh, a different perspective to someone who thinks that, and thinks it's a good thing to say. Why is that the, 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 the,
2: the, the least, um, to okay, hi everybody, <laughs> I'm uh, Jerry Tart here in Orlando, and uh, I've been in private practice for the last 21 years, but I've been in the um, field for more than 40. And uh, Tracy, to your point, I think that it's, um, you, your question was, why is that so unflattering? At least that's kind of how I heard what you're saying. And that's to the point that I'm about to make, that when somebody says, I don't see color, then it's um, in an effort to try to get clarity so that the uh, conversation doesn't go south is to uh, just ask, what do you mean by that? And to help, because uh, I think that um, Johnny, uh, Johnny, is it uh, Johnny? we saying Johnny. that we should be um, um, vulnerable. And, and that's a scary word sometimes in, in a conversation, particularly in the workplace, because people believe to be vulnerable is to set yourself up, to be used Mm -hmm. oftentimes so i think asking for clarity and then describing what you hear and uh, um that what that what that means to you and what it means to them it's going to be uncomfortable when people believe i submit that uh they didn't do anything wrong if i can say it like that well well, well, what 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 why did you get so upset i didn't say anything bad i didn't you know, so anyway, giving giving uh, a, a listening ear, me in my opinion, means that you are asking for clarity rather than to use your own uh, definition of what that means. And then you're giving them an opportunity. You open the door so that they could do the same thing. And if they don't, you step into it and you clarify where you are, why it is that it is so yes. unflattering to hear that, because you're telling me that. What? What what am I? You know, what what if you don't see my color, you don't see my gender, you don't see who I am, can you respect that I have a voice? Can you respect that that it's important for me to be included in this? Do you respect the fact that I have emotions and I have emotional connections to things? That's that's part of it. And as a therapist, sometimes when my clients who don't look like me come and they're asking those kinds of questions, it's important for me to be able to hear why they're asking the question and where, what's their narrative, where are they coming from? Because we are creatures of habit, habits, and an and an ingrained behavior is greater than a conscious promise, per Dr. Um. Uh, was Susan, uh, uh, Susan, Susan Forward? Um, that was one of the things that she said, and I remember, and that is so important when people come in with their own um concepts of what um uh race, racial differences look like. Oftentimes, they're bringing those things that may have been given to them decades ago or uh, whatever, and they've held on to them for one reason or the other. So, part of I don't see you, I don't see your color. I submit that it means I don't see you in the same light in which it is that maybe I've had an experience with somebody else, but not necessarily recognizing that they've just offended us.
0: I, I love it. And what, what I love about this work and what I love about this conversation is I've done over a thousand interviews, black people, white people, all races, all genders, all you know, ages, et cetera. And what I love about this is oftentimes... We, 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 we aren't able to actually articulate in the moment exactly what we're thinking. If we're the person who just got offended, we may even know, we may not even know why, right? Mm-hmm. We, we may not actually be able to articulate in the moment. All we know is that's not good, right? Mm -hmm. And the same thing with someone, you know, experiences these things. So what I like to do is try to help to shortcut and and kind of just want to move people to, you know, a better place as quickly as possible to help kind of fill in the gaps. Sometimes what they may not even be able to articulate until they hear it, they're like, yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. That's exactly right. So when you have a thousand people having this conversation, it's like, okay, this is pretty easy. It's actually pretty easy now in my head, right? So now it's about meeting people where they are and helping everyone kind of get to the get to the same same space so miss miss uh, patricia you're the one who had someone pat you on the head and say you know i don't see you as black uh did, did you ever have that conversation with her and how do we lovingly have the conversation because i do think it's easy because you, you even said you went from i used to take it all in i used to feel it and now i'm like Mm-mm. Mm-mm. <laughs> right? You mm-mm. so how do you how do you how do you lessen the right? How do you take it in? How do you push back? How how do you do it in all, all in a loving in a loving way? And what did you what what was your interaction? Uh,
3: well, you know, I again, I'm Patricia Davis with Demarsh Consulting, and I do some DEI work with them. Um I grew up with my parents in you know, and basically seen but not heard. And so what I learned from my parents is silence. And, you know, as I've gotten older, I am getting much braver about speaking up about what my truth is and, and who I am. So um, I, I have to just tell you this other quick little story with this same friend of mine. But you didn't you
0: mention that you're biracial as well.
3: I am biracial. And she does always say to me, or she had always said to me, well, you're half black, you know, you're half white. And so she kind of sees the white part of me. And it's like, no, I am a black woman. Any way you cut it, I'm a black woman. But, you know, we went over to a friend of hers house that lives in, you know, Medina, which is a really ritzy neighborhood. And she says, well, you have to go into their house and see their tree. Well, they weren't around, but their house was open and she was pushing me into their house. And I said to her, you can't do this. I said, do you know what color I am? I said, if they see me in their house, they're going to call the police. Uh, so yeah, it's like, I've had to say to her many times, I'm a black woman and my business partner is a white woman. And so when we, we were up in Jefferson County, which is one of our current clients, and I'm I'm very diplomatic about how I speak to that group of people because they are all white. I can't use the word racist. I have to use the word implicit bias. And so I have to temper my language with them until we're comfortable with each other. And she speaks to them in a very different way. She's really kind of nasty with them. And, and she says, well, you should have told them blah, blah, blah. I said, there's no way I could have spoken to this group of people in that way When I first meet them, I have to be as a black person, I have to kind of ease into that conversation because they can just decide they don't want me as their consultant or their coach. And so, you know, it's it's navigating through this. But I I really think right now it's important to to speak up, you know, uh, and to to speak your truth. And um, yeah, I'm so si- silence, is, silence is no longer okay.
0: I love it, I love it, I love it. Miss Johnny, you have a very unique background as well. I'm gonna have you introduce yourself. And then since you talked about uh, not seeing color, you have a unique lens on color. You're a biracial woman, but you also, you talked about being black, being white, but being blue that's a very unique (laughs) unique dagger my father actually you know had some uh law enforcement in his background as well i have a very deep affinity for law enforcement officers i I cringe sometimes when i when i can only imagine what that experience is like as a black person or white person or anyone who's like you know trying to do the work and then being perceived as the enemy because we all know that all police officers are not enemies we know that there's some bad apples we got to figure out how to make them accountable but I think there, there's just a lot there. So let's talk real quick about when someone says, I don't see you as black. since you don't, I mean, you, you, you could pass that we can use that term. You might be able to pass more than anybody on this call. Anyway, you, you look at you rolling, look at you. you got something to say about that. Tell them what that means when I say the word and then tell us what, what, what how do you feel when someone says, I don't see you as black? Has that ever happened to you? And what, what, what does that mean to you? How, what would you, what advice would you share with someone on how to, how to better navigate that conversation?
4: Um, well,
0: You can introduce yourself again as
4: well. Oh, yeah, that's right. I'm sorry. Let me take two. Um, (laughs) Hi, I'm Johnny Reddick. And yes, uh, I have over 29 years in law enforcement um, with a large state agency here in California. Um, I retired after those 29 years, uh, reaching the top 1% of my organization at an executive level. And um, I was really getting kind of burnt out of... The cumulative trauma from all the experiences on the job with death and all those things, and I was tired of the politics and, you know, really the constant dangling of the proverbial carrot, um, chasing that to be the first or the second in something, and feeling like I had to carry the weight of, you know, everybody behind me to do that. And so it's it's it was like a big relief because um, uh, I was getting sick. Uh, it was a big relief for me to kind of um, just allow myself to say, you know, it's, it's okay to be done and to really kind of hear from God to say, well done, and that I'm done, um, who made that perfectly clear. And um, in that, I decided to continue to contribute, and so I teach at the University of San Diego in a master's um, graduate program for leadership and public safety. I do that here at a local adjunct for the community college into uh, professionalism, ethics, leadership, implicit bias, principal policing, and I also do consulting work um, where I work with organizations and leaders, but um, also I work with community partners in kind of bridging this conversation between um, policing as well as community on the concerns uh, on the national narrative that we're having now. And it's really educating on the things that oftentimes people just don't know about because those aren't the questions that people are asking at the table. But when you're referring to your question about color blindness or being asked what color, this has been something I've had to deal with my whole life. So I just really appreciate uh, Patricia of uh, sharing her example with her friend, that honestly with, uh, you know, uh, black, with my black community, I'm not asked what I am, I'm received for who I am. It is only generally with white people that they want to be curious to understand how my hair can be curly one day and be straight the next and i have to explain a perm or look at me and my family comes in and tilt their head not quite sure of what i'm doing with a black husband and you know black children and i'm like because they're mine (laughs) um and so You know, it's been one of those things um, that you kind of just have to navigate and deal with. And I love, Tracy, how you talk about that from this uh, place of um, kind of kindness and not harshness, but also helping people to understand your lived experience in your lens. And that doesn't necessarily dictate that you're a bad person, but you do need to have clarity. And I think several of the ladies mentioned this clarity. On where i come from when i also not only step out of my personal life but i now step into whether it's my business life or my educational um, role or my consulting role that what i bring with me on when we're going to talk about it and i love this this place of being brave patricia because for us we we always have had to be careful but we can still be carefully cautiously brave and challenge people to challenge their own way of thinking so we can have some mindset shifts and we may have some moments of um you know some intense fellowship (laughs) but hopefully because we can facilitate that out we'll have some greater learning Mm,
0: i love it i love it you know a little bit of what each of you said in our individual conversations and i've had hours and hours of conversation with some of you And so I I know where your hearts are, and I also know where your minds are. So I know, like, each of you want to make things better, but you also want to drive change immediately. You're like, enough is enough. Like, I wouldn't be doing this work right now. I would not be leaning in, investing my time on a Sunday afternoon, trying to change the world, trying to put it out there into the universe if I didn't want to be a part of change, be a part of real change. And so two of the things we're actually doing today is, you know, I I have to invest in the, the, the power of the inner spirit. I mentioned there's a book that we're launching right now called Ignite Inner Spirit. It's it's launching on December 11th. I'm super excited about it. It's a compilation book where I'm writing with 30 other women, 30 other individuals about the inner spirit. And actually in that book, I wrote about my personal journey and how, you know, one of the things I wrote about and you actually said it, you talked about the burden of making things better. Each of you felt some type of obligation to make things better. And so for me, it was that my inner spirit was telling me this is bigger than me. The experience that I was having in corporate America. It was horrific. It was horrific. I I, I say, you know, one of my biggest uh, call to actions was when I, I had interns come into my office wanting to commit suicide because of them having a similar experience with things that we don't teach them about. We're responsible for that, like black people, right? Because we know better. We have to do better if we know better. And so part of what I'm doing as a part of this initiative is to say, how do we all do better? Right. How do we know better and then how do we help others to do better by helping them to see a different perspective? So I, wanna, I want each of you to talk about, you know, your um, the, the importance of two things. Like I, I'm kind of combining. One of the books is called Ignite Inner Spirit. The next book we're writing is called Ignite Inclusion, because both of those things are so important. So I'm going to have you balance the two things of assuming the best of others. And to me, that requires some type of inner connection to, you know, believing the best in others to we got to make things better and i have an obligation to make things better and i have an obligation to make things better now how do you guys gravitate how do, how do you blend those two things together i think dr tart you probably blend the the the, the um the divine with the, the the mandates of you know kind of current state you, you blend those things on a regular basis so talk to us real quick about why it's so important to blend this idea of tapping into our inner spirit happening into the best of others, the best of ourselves and finding the best in others. To me, that's the journey that we're on. We're, we're about impacting hearts and minds. So let's talk about why that's so important. And how would you, uh, what would you share with others about the importance of blending those two things?
2: So when you asked the question initially, when you started that, the first thought that came to my mind is that scripture that says a soft answer turns away wrath. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that sometimes when, even when we are in that place where we are really angry or we are really upset that if we take a minute and that other scripture that says pray without ceasing, you know, and we just, <laughs> in our heart, in our head, we are asking, we are really, I, 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 I that experience has happened to me more well uh, frequently. Let me say it like that. So it's, it's that concept of asking God to give me the words to say to be in that place that I could, you said, what is it that I can do to try to help myself first see others as being kind or wanting to be kind or whatever. First, then I've got to see if I can find that place within myself. So I ask God to help me to do that so that I can see my fellow man in that regard. And that's one of the reasons that my the biggest thing in terms of inclusion, uh, if you want to say my soap opera, is can you see me as the human being that I am? and 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 in, and during that if i if it, i mean i'm sorry in doing that if i can if you can do that if i can see you that way in spite of something that you may have said that may be offensive to me in spite of the way that you may have treated someone else that had nothing to do with me seemingly but it was unkind in spite of how you may have foregone the policy and made it your made your own in spite of those kinds of things what can i say and 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 i have to go there ladies and that place is that i want to go back to you know, back in the day, remember, maybe three years ago, five years ago, whatever, this, this little slogan, what would Jesus do? But it's more than what would Jesus say or what, whatever, but it's more than that. What would he do? But what is it that he's calling you to do? Because that's the bottom line. If, 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 we, right. know, if we know that there is something good in us, then can we see something good in somebody else? If I believe that in myself, I give it away. I've got to give it away. If I believe that I have the right to ask do you, do I believe that you have the right to ask? And if I do, mm-hmm. can I answer you in a manner, uh, in the same manner in which it is that I'd be willing to receive what it is that you are sharing with me? And if not, then I, can I ask for clarity? Do I believe that I have the right to do that? So that's mm-hmm. kind of my answer, Tracy. I
0: love it. I love it, I love it, I love it. Does anyone else want to comment on this idea of, um, you know, us feeling this burden to want to make things better, feeling the burden for our next generation, and then also understanding the connectivity of positive energy.
1: I kind of want to tag into what Dr. Tark was saying, um, because when I talked to you, Tracy, I talked to you about some of the burdens um, that you have to bear when you're um, not treated fairly in, in the workplace. Um, and she was talking about, and she was talking about some of the things that, how do we make our, how do we make it right when we're going through things that uh, I'm not trying, I'm trying not, not trying not to use that word. So let me just say this.
0: Use whatever word you want, sweetie. I'm not, this. No, 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 oh,
1: no, no, I'm, <laughs> I'm talking about, <laughs> okay. Oh, okay, okay, let me say this. I have to constantly be praying in my heart. When I go through things and I was talking to my sister about this the other day, the, the way we make it is we constantly ha- must have a prayer in our heart because we're always going to come up again against obstacles and I, I know there's been times in meetings where I had to pray that prayer that's in the Bible let the words of my heart and the, excuse me, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, O Lord my redeemer amen. I really, at times, had to pray that for me to make it through. And at times, I, I have to ask myself, God, why am I here? <laughs> why am I here in this situation when I'm oftentimes going home in tears? I'm oftentimes stressed out and and not able to function when I get home. And, and my family would not know this. Because being a strong Black woman, it's it's hard for you to... To really talk about those things to your family members but i'd have to ask god why do you have me here and 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 then talking to him and for me to get a better understanding from him i have you here for a reason pam when i put you here i need for you to be here and i i'll stay here until god tells me i need to move i'm there for a reason i'm there to mentor others I'm there to not only mentor others who are black, but I'm there to also share with people who may be racist. There have been times when I came against uh, people when I worked as a nurse at one time specific. It was a white uh, nurse who was really racist. And the other nurses would tell me, don't talk to him because he's racist and he's going to do this and he's going to do that. And Pam, just I just go over to him and I start talking. I want to get a better understanding of why you're thinking the way you're thinking. Because you're God's child, just like I'm God's child. And I, I care about everybody's soul. Not trying to get all spiritual on you guys, all
3: right? Go, girl, but, go for it. I care about <laughs> hey, you the right,
1: soul. You
0: with the right crew. <laughs> if
1: you go in there, you with the right one. <laughs> I mean, this is supposed to be our purpose in life. We're not here to, I mean, we want to be happy. We want to do things with our family, but we're here to serve God. And so that we must do and it it is uncomfortable talking to a person who may be racist who may talk down to you or whatever but you know that is the only way there's going to bring about a change for us to step outside of our comfort zone to be be able to address some of that so yeah
0: so how many of you have had a similar experience where you you ask the question why do you have me here why, why me how many of you have had that experience yeah. Uh, it's, yeah, it's it's, it's, yeah. it's a common. So when we talk about the trauma, uh, we talked about trauma, trust and training. Those are the three words that we talked about. And each of you brought those topics up as we were talking. So, you know, we talked about some of the traumas that we experienced. Like tar- take us to the, the point. What happens when trust is broken? We had. uh Patricia talking about friendships and relationships. And I know Johnny was talking about some of the leadership training that she does when she focuses on relationships and the importance of trust. And I know Patricia, uh, Pam said there's something similar. So let's talk a little bit about this idea of trust. When, when 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 you're in a leadership space and you expect there to be some degree of safety, but you realize that the experiences that you're having that may be traumatic, right, are not being acknowledged. Like you said, we can't even talk about them. That's the thing that we want to change. We want to change the our inability to talk about those things. We want to kind of elevate and say, hey, it's a normal thing. We, we, the, the numbers would say that it's a normal part of the experience. Mm-hmm. So we, we brought people on every week that, that, that talks about experiences, numbers, metrics, et cetera. So what would you say if, if we were specifically thinking about this idea of um, trust and, mm-hmm. and, and, and the broken trust that happens when, you know, there's an expectation you're going to do a certain amount of work and you're going to get credit for it. That doesn't happen. You know, the trust is eroded. We had someone on talking about weathering. One of the other doctors who we've talked about for, for some of our other these other conversations talked about weathering, which is mm-hmm. that experience that black people have oftentimes with various microaggressions and various things that happen in society and then to you individually, et cetera. And then and then your trust is eroded. Mm-hmm. And, and yet you're still trying to function as if you know, like I said, through some divine nature, right? I mm-hmm. knew I was having a similar experience, and God was telling me it's bigger than me. That's what I kept hearing. This is mm-hmm. bigger than you. Mm-hmm. This is bigger than you. That, that brought me through. So when I wrote in this book called Ignite Inner Spirit, mm-hmm. you hear, it, I, and, I, and I wrote, it, even in the book Ignite Happiness, mm-hmm. I wrote even more detailed about my experience because it was like, it was such a divine experience. It was bigger than me. Mm-hmm. So ladies, what what do you say and what would you say about th- this idea of, of trust, and how do you... Um, Clarify for people that trust does get eroded. And what do you do about that?
2: I think that one thing first, uh, as you said, to be just just black and white, as it were, or just to make it simple, is that you got to understand why. I mean, where's your point of disappointment um, when trust is eroded that or, or in, uh, when there is trust or you've had trust in something? There's a reason that you had trust in that. It speaks to your value. Or moral, whatever it is that you have, and that trust is gone, then you've got to understand, well, what part of that brought me to feel the way that I'm feeling? So be clear. I love that word and I use it often, but you have to go back and you have to do the introspection. Now, if you're going to talk to someone else, like you're in leadership, it, uh, it doesn't, uh, your position doesn't negate the fact that you can lose your trust in something uh, or whatever. So even in a leadership position, if you are disheartened, or uh, disenfranchised because somebody has said something, done something, negated uh, the efforts that you've put forth, not giving you credit for whatever, then you've got to determine what does that mean to me? Where's my value? Why do I have that kind of feeling towards that thing? Once you get to a place where you can literally handle it as if it were tangible, when you can do that without breaking down or without having an explosion of some sort, emotional or mental or whatever, once you can do that, then you want to, Re- revisit how, do, how then do I, in, in my opinion, how do, how do I package this to go and ask the necessary questions? This goes back to what we were just saying early on in terms of having those courageous conversations. How do I say that? You know, because sometimes the best that we can get out of the circumstance is to acknowledge what it is that we had hoped for. And if that's not coming to fruition, it doesn't mean that we've held it in. It means that we've been able to say it. And that gives us some effort, some level of of hope to move forward. And 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 of course, just as we've been all saying right now, it's going to take the power of prayer. So when we do that introspection, it's going to give us that we have to take on the responsibility of taking that to that higher power. Uh, uh, Tracy, when you say that it's bigger than than, than me, it is. It's bigger than us. Because if God has called us to be in that place, um, he's going to take us through if we give him uh, the opportunity to do that. So my point here is that, you know, any of us can go and stir a hornet's nest. But if that's not going to get, that's not the the end goal. If the end goal is to be, uh, get the inclusion that's necessary. And recognize this, that even if the, uh, for you, if the trust is broken, if you are faithful enough, confident enough, Convicted enough, dedicated enough to go and make your statement, whether it happens on your watch or not, you have done what you were called to do. If, that, if, if you can hear where I'm coming from, if that makes I, sense. I, I
0: absolutely yeah. can. I think well, this idea of being courageous, this idea of having courageous conversations is so important. And, and I know each of us have done different types of, uh, been on that journey in different ways. I like what you just said, Dr. Doug. You said acknowledge what we had hoped for. Yes. Acknowledge, acknowledge yes. what it was that disappointed you, yes. right? So I think what we don't also do is oftentimes we don't acknowledge the trauma.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So does anyone want to talk about the, the trauma or some some other acknowledgement of the trauma? We have like 20 minutes left in this particular conversation. So let's real quickly, does anyone want to talk anything about acknowledging of trauma that, that does exist?
1: I, I just wanted to tag on to what Dr. Tart said um, a few minutes ago. And, and she was talking about um, when you do the work, what, what the bottom line for me, what I got of what she was saying, when you do the work, you may not see the result of it at that time, but you're laying the nuggets that's going to make the change. So it's, a, it's important to acknowledge that, that your work that you've done and that it, you may not see, as MLK would say, the mountaintop okay mm-hmm. you 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 may not make it to the promised land you may not mm-hmm. but it may be our children it may be our grandchildren or some other family members that uh, the work has helped will help them in the future to be able mm-hmm. to make it through so some it's that. like like you said it's big it's, it's bigger than us it's mm-hmm. bigger
0: than us it and it's funny and yeah. those aren't just those aren't just words so we've laid out a full detailed change management curriculum around how can individuals at every level in the organization actually use this language This bigger than me moment so if something's yeah, happening exactly. to you it's just a high level if something's happening to you even if you can't articulate what your, what your what your um experience what your initial um acknowledge what you had hoped for if you're not mm-hmm. sure all you know is this is bigger than me right mm-hmm. you can mm-hmm. call a bigger than this is a bigger than me moment. Mm-hmm. Right. So by definition, organizations that are willing to say to lean in, they first have to acknowledge that there is a problem. They first yes. have to acknowledge yes. that the things that are considered unconscious bias, similarity bias, um, unequal performance standards, those are the top three things that yes. all of the research for the last 40 years has identified are the greatest barriers to black people in business. Uh, mm-hmm. in general, but in business for sure. So when those things happen, we don't have a way to articulate it. It happens and we don't. So at a minimum of you could say, you know, this, 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 this is bigger than me. Because most mm-hmm. times we don't even want to, we don't even know what's happening. All we know is what's happening is not what I would want to happen to my children. This is mm-hmm. not, I shouldn't be happening to me, but I'm so confused right now. My trust has been broken. My world has been rocked. I'm confused at how good people could be doing bad things. All I know is this feels like a bigger than me moment. Then the organization has an opportunity to pause that's the take your knee off my neck. That's the stop corporate chokeholds. That's the saying that something is happening and we as an organization, as a leadership team, we need to do better. So we, we can talk about more about that. There's a whole, like I said, process and change management that we can, we can um, share that helps people to, to work this from the bottom, but bottoms up and the top down. It really does have to be both of those. It has to meet somewhere in the middle where you're trying to change the culture. So you have to say to your point, Pam, you may not, you, you, it may not be fixed for you, but you know that what, this is an example of the type of situation that needs to be changed. It's bigger than me, right? Mm-hmm. This is a bigger than me moment, right? And we need to pause. We need to figure out what it is because it's really, I think what happens is the reason leadership up until this point has been able to just separate themselves from the trauma that happens in corporate America, they've completely disconnected themselves from it. It's like it's it's something it's happening in the in, in the streets of America, but it's not happening in business. That's what they think. And so I'm like, hello. This is part of that conversation to help people to realize it's happening on your watch. The knee is on your neck. It's Mm -hmm. on someone's neck in your company because the numbers prove it. The numbers tell that story. So this is an opportunity for people to do something different. So for each of you, I'm going to ask Johnny, real quick. I'm going to ask you, one of the things that I know we talked about as well was the – the importance of you training leaders. You you said you wanted to lean in and help leaders, senior leaders, understand um, the some of the opportunities. So if you had to talk to a leader, you are again mixed woman, black and white. I just want you to know
4: I don't go around calling myself a mixed woman. I call myself a black woman, but I wanted to make it clear that I'm biracial because um, you know I have two parents. <laughs> You know, I, uh, so, but I, I'm a black woman. So you, I know you put the biracial out there, but I'm, you know, I'm just.
0: So you're a black woman of, when well, yeah. you say biracial descent, is that how you. Uh,
4: yeah, I mean, I have a, a white mother and a black father.
0: But you're a black woman.
4: But I'm a black woman. That's how mm-hmm. I was raised. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Black. Me.
0: And And so what, what I love about that is that was a <laughs> crazy conversation in itself.
3: It right? is. It is. Because,
0: because for you to, I feel for like you to correct to me and say, oh, by the way, let me just clarify.
4: Because I feel like I have to explain sometimes, and that gets to be tiresome, too. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there's things within things, subcultures within cultures. That's why I love the the, the movie School Days. <laughs> 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 the Lee movie, the old one from back in the day. But yes. Yeah.
0: Yes, yes. No, I, I love that. So thank you. And so So we're going we're gonna to end with our last 20 minutes on this idea of courageous conversation. So I did have a, a similar conversation with um, the one that you were having, Patricia, around, you know, I don't see color. And the guy said something, you know, similar to someone else. And it was like, oh, that's easy. That. That's easy. But there's tons of these courageous conversations. So if we had to, to, to um, again, educate. Part of, part of our goal today is to talk about, to clarify, and there's tons of research. You know, you can go onto our website. We'll make sure it's all bigger than me.com. We put as many of these sources and resources out there. I'm, I'm actually have a document in front of me with about 40 links to Harvard University, the National Academy of Sciences, New York Times, you know, the Wall Street Journal. We, we, we All the evidence is there. We didn't want to talk about a whole lot of numbers today. I really wanted you to connect with individuals and to really feel um, the story. So if each of you had to provide any any insight, you know, today's conversation was around trust, trauma, and training. Most of you are in some type of training role, right? You're, you're in some role, you've leaned in and said, I want to help other people to do the right thing, right? And you've experienced trauma, and you know the existence of trauma, and you realize that trust is often broken. So if you took the concept of trauma, trust, and tr- training, and you knew that you had, you know, a few minutes to just talk to someone right now who might be curious, that there's 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 a problem. Again, we're trying to Get people to understand that there is a problem. What would you want to say to an individual who um, says, "I, I want to be a part of the solution. I want my children to live in a different world. You know, I want to have some of these courageous conversations." Are there any anything you would share with someone around having courageous conversations? What they would, uh, one one of your personal stories or anything that you think would be of an, an advantage to people on either side around having courageous conversations?
4: Yes, so Johnny. I, I want just... to tap into I sorry. I, yes. I'm Johnny. Defer- yes. Okay. So I was going to tap back in. It's going to blend into what you just asked, but you talked about leadership and organizations. And so a lot of this has to do with the business culture. And when you're talking about courageous conversations, I'll give you two small quick examples of where this becomes complicated, but it's needed and necessary. So um you know i have an opportunity many times to sit on promotional examinations for different organizations and one particular organization their ceo required their um, employees who were going through this process to read a book and the book that they uh, were required to read had to do with implicit bias and one also had to do with um, post-slavery syndrome and when the uh, candidates came through. There was questions correlated to the book, and they were not expecting the type of questions because they weren't questions designed for them to be yes or no. It was for them to to share their understanding of this cultural concern and issue that they're facing as an organization out to their consumers, and probably six or seven months later, I came across one of the white females who was testing in this process because we, um, I teach and somehow or another, I can't remember how we connected. And she was like, you were on my panel. And I go, yes, I was. She goes, well, I didn't promote. And I said, okay, I was kind of careful with the confidentiality of what it was. And she goes, You know, what threw me was the book that I was required to read. As a white woman, I'm educated, went to high school. I went to college. I've been in my profession for over 20 years. And I had no idea that these were the things that were happening to the level of that book. And it really opened my eyes. And it was an interesting conversation. So um, one one thing and then two things out of that is leadership needs to have um, the courage to implement systemically within their organizations, this change in their culture, like we talked about and whatever that's gonna look like so that it can begin to trickle down, it can now impact their succession within the organization. And then two, how do you build that out from just being in an exam silo to how do you have those throughout the organization? And um, in my past organization, when we went through a trust initiative where we were working to build trust with the community, well, what we realize is we need to build trust internally before we could then exhibit that um, you know, outwardly. And in those silos of training throughout our entire state organization of 12,000 employees, there was some very difficult conversations had, but they were needed and they actually made breakthroughs. Did they change people necessarily? No, but they had a different level of respect. They had some common ground. Um, we were able to maybe move the needle, but also know where you know, each person was standing from their lens, but I had to be a facilitator as an executive so I could share my experience. But what my job was, was really to hear the conversation and allow it to occur respectfully, but then facilitate it so that each could be heard. And then those in the room were also gonna get that um, continued ripple, but we have to be courageous. And you know, that word is so interesting, but um, it's just really these needed vulnerability Um, conversations that need to be had and they're hard when leadership they hide in silos with people like themselves and if they don't have to face it nobody likes conflict that's why we have conflict resolution training right and so um, I just think that's how you begin to make that change so you said what would you tell people this is what I would tell them these are the things that you need to step boldly into your leadership to your calling for those who are faith-based to do it's time for you to show up and stand for something Mm,
0: I love it I love it Dr. Tart did you want to say something
2: uh, yeah, I saw
0: you giving. I saw you giving yeah, a round I, of applause. I, <laughs> is that a, we call that the A man yes, corner, ladies? Someone's yes, like, mm, yep, that's right. I was just that's the A man corner. Patricia, <laughs> I see you leaning in. Did you want to uh, comment on what would you specifically say around these courageous conversations driving change? We have uh, ten minutes left, so we got to talk fast. <laughs>
3: I'll talk fast. So, you know, I did some training with the Bremerton Police Department, they don't want to do the training. They keep constantly pushing it out because they had a bad interaction with the black lives matter um militant team and so they just they want to stop it they'd say we don't want to do this for 3 months well what they're hoping as in is that in 3 months this will all go away and they've had some issues like you know hispanic people are afraid to call the police when they're in col- when they're in trouble and that that they stop black people more often. And the few black people that are actually in Bremerton, they stop them far more often than than any white people there. And they're un- doing it unconsciously. They're actually kind of not even realizing that they're doing it. But what I want them to know is that this is not gonna go away. This is, we've got some training to do. We have some conversations to have and you know, it, it's not gonna it's not gonna go away in three months. So we can wait, but that's not gonna buy anything.
0: I love it. I, I think I think it's part of our responsibility to ensure that it doesn't go away. That's actually why I'm leaning in and we're creating this community in such a way. So again, the, the question to you, Miss Pamela, is similar. Um what what advice would you share with those who are watching, who are engaged, who want to be a part of the solution, who want to help to drive change, what would you say to them about the importance and what they might need to do to uh, drive and to engage in courageous conversations in a new way, to really activate in a new way?
1: I would say that it is important to speak your your truth. It's also important for you to understand, um, I, I was thinking as the the prior speakers were saying about trainings, and, and it's important for us to understand the consequences of training. By saying that, by I, I mean that when you do a training and uh, these uh, equity trainings and diversity trainings are, are really good things, but understand they're similar to being in a therapy session. And oftentimes people you you're going into trainings yourself and on your jobs, whether you are doing the training or participating in it, understand they're similar to a therapy session. I've been in a number of them and, and I, I don't think I don't think people understand that people get triggered and oftentimes if they're afraid to speak out uh, on um, what has happened to them or they might want to say that they don't feel that there's any racism going on or any inequitable treatment that's happening. They can be triggered in those trainings. And so it's important for us to to check in. It's it's important for us to like if you're in a therapy session, to process it, allow people to to really talk about it. And because what happens in those trainings is at the end, we're like putting a band-aid over the wound. And what happens when you put a Band-Aid over the wound? It festers underneath there, right? That wound is still there. We're going through trainings, we're going through these sessions, and we're uh, attempting to, to bring some healing, but understand in order for us to, to, to get healing, we have to get to the root of the cause. Otherwise, um, we're causing more damage. So, and I'm one, one of those that like to identify potential issues now Training is wonderful, but like I said, you have to be careful with the trainings that you do and what you do with the the staff during those trainings, because you can cause more harm than good in that.
3: You know,
0: know, I love that because part of the work we're doing right now with this bigger-than-me Success series. It is about creating a community. Where it's about building trust. So we didn't do one session and say you're done. You can't. Mm-hmm. You can't possibly do that. but We can continue to bring people together. We can continue to create these videos and to create conversations and to to, to document the, the the story and the journey so that people can come in and, and follow this process, you know, on their own as well as lean in and be a part of this yes. community. So I 100% agree with you. that so. Thank you, ladies, for being a part of this. Part of what we're doing is creating. It's the bigger than me success series. You can find a little bit more. Information about us on it's all it's all bigger than me.com, I T S A L L bigger than T H A N me.com. That's actually one of the websites that we're building. And, and part of this work is we're collecting um, community sponsorship to create video documentaries, to create books and workbooks, because we actually do have the answer. It's really not that complex, right? right? What we don't have is we don't have corporations who are saying, hey, I actually want to invest in. Changing things long term, right? People are just comfortable doing what they're doing. So I love everything you guys are saying. Dr. Tart, with our five minutes left, I'm going to ask you to actually lean in. Then I'm going to ask each person to come back around with your final words in in our last couple of minutes. But Dr. Tart, is there anything that you would contribute as it relates to advice to individuals about having courageous conversations? And, um, you know, to to each of these ladies' points, it's hard. We got to be vulnerable, according to Johnny, right? We have to be. According to yes. Patricia, you know, it's not going away. According wow. to Pamela, we got to make sure, right, that we're leaning in and, and, and we, we, we're we not triggered. And if we are, you know, talk a little bit about what that process, you know, any, any final words of wisdom regarding how important it is and what we can do, each of us, whether you're being traumatized and you want the courage to speak up, or you're someone who's a leader and you want, or a business owner and you want to create a safer space for your employees. Talk a little bit more about what that
2: creates. Um, well, one thing that I'd very much like to say is that if it, if, if those things that you just suggested is happening uh, uh, Patricia, right you were talking about not, not I'm sorry Pam 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 you were talking about um, not only speaking your truth but being uh, uh, able to understand that there are triggers. So even uh, when there are if it is that if you're in if the, if, if the situation allows and you're in that moment, um, and you 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 call out the bias, or not because you're saying you're biased, but for instance, if someone gives a stereotypical uh, response or behavior towards you as if you were simply because of your ethnicity or your gender, then this is this is your narrative. And when you ask the question, and I say this as a therapist, and then in, in, in a conference we had that experience to happen because the individual was very. Uh, she called she made a very stereotypical uh, circumstance to something that that could really damage a client so my question was well what do you do when you are inserting your own uh, bias to this individual who is absolutely vulnerable who is absolutely at your mercy what do you do and in that moment she didn't get it but there was someone else in the in the in the Group who said, then what she, what she said is that I'll have to recognize my, uh, understand better my transference, my tr- transference right. or counter transference. And another person who said that it does take absolute training to do what it is that she needs to do because in those situations, and they will happen, trust me, they will happen. And everybody Absolutely. doesn't process at the same level because you, know, you don't get it just right then. Right. We have been so conditioned to call trauma something else. And I've said this too many times before in this program. Exactly. We've, been so, we've been so conditioned to call it something else that it yes. takes a minute for us to realize that it is trauma. So when we're in that situation, we have to process, ask the questions ourselves. And that was the, one of the reasons that I said, sometimes in doing the uh, uh, the introspection, we have to write it down, get it out of your head you know, so that you can see what you put on the table. And if you were telling that to your grandchild or your child or your sister or brother, or even your mom, you would say, wow, that's that's pretty heavy. So maybe we- <laughs> you, you went
0: mute, Dr. Tart. Oh, I guess yeah. we went out of time. Okay.
1: Okay. Uh, I guess we're out of
0: time. That was
2: great. Okay.
1: Bye, everyone. Bye. (laughs)
2: Be blessed. Nice meeting all of you.